come with us. When you wish upon a star. Come and remember the magic. What's up, all you rad dudes and dudettes? Welcome to 90s Disney, your podcast for everything about Disney in the 90s. I'm your host, Agent Minotti, joined by my brothers, Chris Minotti. Oh, oh, I'm so caught off guard. (laughs) And Mike Minotti. Guys, I'm glad we're recording my house, but if you have to go to the bathroom, don't go to the one in the West Wing. The West Wing? Why? What's over there? Oh, I'm definitely good. Wait, maybe we shouldn't go to his yeah. secret bathroom. His, his forbidden in the bathroom? Wing. I'm going there. Guys, I'm so happy you went along with that. I've been thinking about that all day. Now, if anyone does that one go have a does that one have a bidet as well? <laughs> no, that's why you can't go there. <laughs> be good. I don't want. It's to got the that. cheapest toilet paper, sandpaper. It's probably no. a round bowl. It'll too. tear Not off. even elongated. <laughs> oh my. Okay. We have a really cool episode uh, yes. this month for you guys. Uh, as you can tell, our topic this month is Beauty and the Beast, the 1991 feature animated film from Walt Disney Feature Animation, the 30th such film that they produced. But this show's going to be a little different. You're going to hear us talking for a little bit here, but then the bulk of this show is going to be a very special interview that I got to conduct with the co-directors of the film, Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale. Guys, this is the highlight of this podcast so far a huge interview congratulations aj it's, uh, it's yes. fantastic everyone please listen to it you're, you're going to learn stuff that i didn't know about this movie and i i consider myself something of an aficionado about yeah, it i mean absolutely I mean, i've said i've listened to interviews podcasts i was so gripped by this i just didn't want it to end well my challenge and, and when i when i contacted them about doing the interview I, you know i told them this movie's been covered to death it's had several very good uh, making of documentaries um, on the, you know, the Blu-ray release had a great one on Disney plus. There's a very good one. The extras, um, you get a lot of information about the film in the very good documentary waking sleeping beauty. Um, so again, even like for the podcast, there's no point in me reciting that to you guys. This is all out there. You've probably seen it. So mm-hmm. go check that stuff out. You want to know more about kind of the more film making process of the movie. When I told Kirk and Gary, what I really wanted to get to the heart of my interview with them was their personal story of working on the film. How did they react to things that were going on around production? How did it affect them? Um, and, and then how did their experience coming into this movie affect its development? Because as we learned from Kirk when he was on the show last time, they basically came out of directing the pre-show for um, Cranium, Command. Cranium Command and then we're directing Beauty and the Beast. And even they were like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess the Disney execs like Cranium Command as much as Apparently. we Apparently. So Which, before we get to the interview, I just want to we want to set the stage a little bit. There's a few things that are, are, are worth discussing that'll help kind of give you some context for the interview if you don't know them. So first, let's go back to the release of the film, November 22nd, 1991. So we're coming up on 30 years of this film. 30 years and the 30th feature film, you said. Yeah, 30. Oh, 30. wow. Huh? That, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, take that ESPN. So around this time... Uh, Sorry, I got a downer here. <laughs> a little bit, but it's, it's interesting. It's historical. On November 23rd, Freddie Mercury confirmed to the world that he had AIDS and then he died the next day. This was really a scary. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about Howard Ashman today. Right. Too, I, that's kind of why I thought it was relevant. Yeah, Even yeah. Th- around this, in this same month, I didn't write down the date. Um, that's what Magic Johnson revealed, too, that he was uh, HIV positive right, and, he, right. and he retired from basketball. 
Uh, this was interesting, too. Just, just again, to kind of link the old to the new in a weird way. Eleanor Audley, who was the voice of uh, Lady Tremaine, the wicked stepmother from Cinderella, Maleficent, and Madame Leota, oh, she had just died November 25th of 1991. Just that year. Wow, so she made it to the 90s. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah, that crazy? Mm. And uh, uh, very important, on November 27th, <laughs> The Undertaker! Beats Hulk Hogan to become the new WWF champion. Well, look at that. Wow. I think that's one of Hulk's later uh, world title runs. Actually, maybe the one against Brett. I think he beat Yokozuna after that at WrestleMania 9, now that I think of it. And then the crazy thing is, The Undertaker just retired a year ago. Yeah, he's been around for a while. There's that weird Netflix thing coming out with him. Oh, we're doing that. Which we're going to have to watch. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a great great Halloween thing. It's like an old home video we used Mm. to make that you would pause the. Remember that you would pause? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the yeah, yeah, like that, that, like that Darth Vader board game we had. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. Kinda. Uh, now my AEW shirts came in today that I ordered. I got a Ooh, CM Punk one you. and a Kenny Omega one. So AEW. AEW. Yes. The number one movie of this weekend was not Beauty and the Beast. In fact, it never took the number one spot. That is weekend. really no. Even though it made hundred, I'm sure it ultimately made more money yes. than the Adams Family. Yes, it did. Which I, I, I gave Ooh, spoilers. Sorry. I'm reading that too. Yes, the Adams Family was the number one movie for the uh, this weekend and the following weekend. Apparently, that movie did really, really. It's well. a very good movie. Okay. Yeah, super fun. An amazing cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this I, the one with? Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 He's, he's a Fester. Fester. From Fester's Quest. <laughs> yeah. It's like an NES game that somehow everyone owned. Yeah, everyone played that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number one song was Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation. Before he was the artist formerly known as Prince. Correct. Symbol. Okay. Uh, children, don't listen to this song. No? Okay. Oh, you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> there I go. Listen hey, to God. the other cream. Oh, God. Get listen to the band again. cream. Just try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Okay. Still you. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. So two things I want to talk about before we get to the interview. First, it's good to know that kind of how Beauty and the Beast began development. They made attempts at this story in the 30s and 50s, Walt Disney himself, and it just kind of, they, they couldn't quite find the story they wanted to tell. It never really came together. They kept shelving. So after Roger Rabbit, and they kind of had this like new satellite studio that they had spun up in London for that film, they're like, well, okay, let's give them a project, Beauty and the Beast. So they go to Richard Williams, who was the lead animator on Roger Rabbit, who was kind of running the studio, and said, hey, do you want to direct Beauty and the Beast for us? And he, he, he was you know, appreciative of the offer, but declined. Because uh, he was ready to begin working on what he called his kind of passion project, The Thief and the Cobbler. Oh, it's that guy. Yeah. Man. Have you ever seen The Thief and the Cobbler or clips from it? No. So this was something he was working on for a decade. Decade, like by himself. And it, 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 It's his masterpiece. And if you look at individual sequences that he finished, it's stunning. But he could never quite finish it or bring it together. Eventually, some studio just released it as something. And it, you probably seen, if you saw the trailer from it, you would recognize yeah. it. Yeah, that's sounds- But even like after it was released, he kept working on it because right, it wasn't went- done to his satisfaction. They basically right. kicked him off. He was like, Richard, you're taking forever. And they added yeah. some songs in and something. Like, even like, like people who like watch it, like, it's incredible animation. But when you consider kind of like how long it took and how kind of visually excessive it is at the kind of the, the, the fault of the story. It is kind of like this weird. Uh, oh, there's a word for this. Um, like like avant garde. No, like 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 where you obsess over the perfection of something, but you kind of lose sight of what it's really supposed to be. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a. I don't know the word, but I kind of I kind of I, I know what you're talking about. It is almost more fun to watch it in pieces. Somebody did put a YouTube video together of what the original vision would have been, mm-hmm. with some work kind of like the uh, 
New York Film, Film Festival for right. being the B-side the screen. The, the one sequence that you've probably seen, it, it, I've seen it around Twitter lately, is it, it's like the, the, the cobbler running from... The wizard, he's got some MacGuffin. Mm. He's like sliding across right. the floor under guy's legs. There's that, and there's the thief when he's like stealing the ball thing. Like it, the, it is really impressive. It's worth yeah. just looking at some clips for this because it, it is intense. It's yeah. interesting. So anyway, um, he turned it down, but he suggested his friend who also worked at the studio, Richard Purdom, to uh, head production. So they said, "Okay, cool, Don Hahn, you're the producer. Go to London, start working on this movie." So they spent a few months, kind of in pre-production on the film. Decided it was not going to be a musical. What a we- I tell you what, if any, if ever an idea should be a musical, like such a romantic story yeah, like this. Well, right? Especially after the success of Little Mermaid. Well, this yeah. might have even predated. Like, it, it, I'm really not sure the exact right. timeline of like, when this was as far. I mean, they were working on Little Mermaid, but I don't think it was out yet and quite the success it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come up with about 20 minutes of storyboard reels, and they take it back to L.A., and frankly, no one liked it. You can watch it's, these storyboard yeah, reels, right. and I did, and it, it, it's, it's rough. It's, it's boring. boring. It's very boring. It is boring. They're it's one a, of the, it's a lot the of Blu-ray releases. It was one of the Blu-ray releases yeah. where I saw it, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of dull. It, it's incredible that what we got spun out of this, though. Right? Yeah. So they scrapped that. First, they actually went to Ron Clements and John Musker to see if they would direct it. They just finished The Little Mermaid. They are like, we need a break. Yeah. And they ended up going to Kirk and Gary. And they're like, all right, you guys. The Cranium Command guys, yep. let's go. <laughs> now, keep in mind. Months were already spent on pre-production on that failed version. They didn't get that time back. Mm-hmm. So they're already on a compressed timeline. And again, they're like, oh, and this was at the time, too, when feature animation got kicked out of their studio on the lot. Uh, Remember? The morale, I'm sure. So they were, they were working out of this, this warehouse in Glendale that was like just kind of thrown together for them. But to hear them uh, kind of talk about it in other interviews, what was special about this production was... It was kind of the last time that they were just doing one film at a time. Ah. So it was the last time you had everybody mm. on one movie. The cream of the crop, the best talent in the world in animation. Right. Cause like in the studio working on this film. Because after even Aladdin, you kind of have an A, B, an A team and a B team. Well, the not, B team, well, hilariously, well, was, was the one who made Lion King. King. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, because the A team at the time was Pocahontas. Yeah. Pocahontas yeah. was supposed to be the, uh, the that big was one. the yeah, premiere project that yeah. everybody wanted to do. And if you like weren't up to stuff, you got pushed to Lion King, which is <laughs> right? hilarious. Funny like, how things work out. Like. Mm-hmm. And of course, the other big thing that happened is Alan Menken and Howard Ashman were brought to the project as a songwriter and lyricist and producers. Right. Even before uh, Kirk and um, uh, Greg, right? I was, yeah, I think so. They think they yeah, said that. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were in, or they were in even a little bit earlier than them. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, you'll hear a lot of stories that refer to this early version and the relationship with uh, uh, Kirk and Gary. But Gary, not yes. Greg. Without you'll hear about the relationship with Alan and Howard. Our special and guest, Chris. I know. As soon as I said, it, I was One like, thing, I'm just going to let it slide until someone brings it up. I, I did. Um, before we started, I, I asked Gary. I said, "Okay, I, I, what, the first question I need to ask you to put all the rumors to rest." Please pronounce your last name for me because I've heard Trousdale, Truesdale, Tru, like um, Trosdale. Like yep. you hear everything. He said he's he's gone with Truesdale. People say it, but it is Trousdale. You'll probably yeah, appreciate I'm, Chris I'm, mixing up the first name. Yeah, see, yeah, see? that's a brand it's new different spin form. On it. It's a new twist. <laughs> so the other thing that's good to know about going into the interview is on September 29th, nineteen ninety one. So almost exactly thirty years ago as we're recording Jeez. this. Wait, what day? It's the it's 30th. Today's the 30th, yeah. Oh, my God. Literally. This, this is, this is all lined up very well. Wow. Um, at the New York Film Festival, they had this crazy idea. Let's take an unfinished cut of the film and show it to the public. So 70%-ish of the movie was done, which meant the rest of it was rough animation, pencil test, um, not colored, 
And the funny thing is, and the, as they, they talk about the interview, they, they actually like remove finished shots to put in more unfinished stuff to kind of that was a really neat revelation a little bit to make it look more in production than it was just so that people would understand what like wasn't like this isn't how it's gonna look right clear you're watching something in progress Uh, that reminds (laughs) me of um like the hercules like they obviously the trailer did that remember the trailer for hercules i remember it did that yeah it was the don't you have a cough button aj i did Oh, very good. I'm sorry I caught Paul put attention to it now. Yeah, thanks. But yeah, I remember it was the scene where one of the uh the, the three fates was talking about plumbing that was like super in production. Well, I think it was aren't you supposed to be a hero? Or yeah. you know that scene. I too? happened to be a hero. A hero. And he had he had butts the river monster. Mm-hmm. Yes. All that good stuff. But yeah, so it worked. It worked. <laughs> I mean, but here's how big a deal it was. So this was nineteen ninety one. I was seven years old. I remember this I, happening. They promote they I think they wanted people to know that that was happening, that it was at the New York Film Festival. Yeah. And it got standing over even though it was in a black and white. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was It was. a big thing, and it, it did. It went over very well, and that was kind of like, you know, one of the turning points for this film. I was like, oh, this is, we got something here. Cool. Something is happening. So, with all About that said. begin. Missing. Wings in the West. <laughs> it's forbidden. <laughs> so, without further ado, please enjoy this very special interview co-directors of Beauty and the Beast, Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale. Hello, 90s Disney's listeners. Welcome to a very special episode where I am joined by two very special guests, uh, one returning to the show is Kirk Wise. Hello, Kirk. Hello. Good to be back. Thank you. Joining us for the first time is Gary Trousdale. Hello. And we are here today because we are coming up on the 30th anniversary of Beauty and the Beast, the 1991 feature animated film from Walt Disney. And uh, we thought it'd be great to get together and find out a little bit about how the production was from your point of view. Uh, this movie has obviously been very well covered, uh, very well documented, and uh, I wanted to get a little bit more of your story and your side of things on on how this movie was produced, released, and, and its legacy. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you guys are coming off of Cranium Command, which uh, Kirk and I talked about the last time we spoke. Before you were on Beauty and the Beast, what were you guys doing between Cranium and Beauty? There wasn't very much time. No, because we opened Cranium in October. That's right, and and we got um, we we got the the you know yanked into Charlie Fink's office in the beginning of December. So we basically had a month and change. Um, I remember. I mean, we went back to the development department, right? Which which was I I I always call it daycare. Yeah, director daycare. Story artist daycare. That's that's where they put people that they didn't know what to do with but they didn't quite want to fire either. So, <laughs> so that's where we were. Uh, personally, I was working on a project that Tim Hauser had written called Goofy of the Apes. I was on the same project. We, we, were, we, were, we were actually we, on the same We were on it long enough to really no. gel at all. I remember I, I storyboarded one short sequence. The, the, the picture never got made, unfortunately. It was a very funny idea. You know, predated Tarzan by a, a decade. Yeah, um, but it was it was good, basically the retelling of of uh, Tarzan starring Goofy, and so you know we just drew like funny uh, slapstick Tarzan gags with Goofy in a Tarzan, you know, like kind of caveman get up and 
swinging around on vines and bashing into trees. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Gary and I both love George of the Jungle, so so it was a, it was a good fit for us. <laughs> Excellent. So again, if, if people follow the the kind of history of this movie, they know that there was uh, like six months of work spent under director Richard Pardum on a version of Beauty and the Beast in London, and they kind of showed what they had so far in that first twenty minutes, and the decision was made to kind of start fresh. And they were there was a kind of hunt for new directors and. Uh, Eventually, they landed on you guys. So when you guys came onto the project, what was like that day one like? Where What, what state was the film in and kind of what was your first step in, into well, taking it, over? It, it was really back to the drawing board. I mean, they, they literally, when Gary and I came onto it, um, they had also just a few weeks prior had, had uh, brought Howard Ashman and Alan Macon onto it, um, Howard as executive producer to kind of kind of supervise the sort of reconceiving of the project. And uh, so by the time Gary and I got on it, I think literally the first our first day, which took place in, in New York City, um, all there was was a typed outline with with kind of kind of sort of sort of bullet point ideas for sequences, a little notations in the margins by Howard that literally said things like, you know, the, the note might say, uh, Maurice uh, uh, stumbles into the castle out of the rain, the objects find him, and they serve him a big dinner. And then the, mar- the note in the margin would say, song? Question yeah. mark? O- opening song here. Right. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, the state of the, the previous version, it, was, it wasn't totally boarded, right? It was like just an oh. act or two. It was. I think it was. I think it was uh, uh, like a first act, maybe some of the second act. Yeah, I think probably it was like an about, act change. You know, let, I, I would guess probably less than thirty minutes of, of reels. Right, and God bless him. It was the longest thirty minutes of your life. Um, oh. it, I mean, it was. It was very pretty to look at. It was beautifully drawn, but it was just. It was just a snooze, you know. Yeah. And this is why. This is why Jeffrey said. Guys, guys, you, you got to get that that Ashman Macon team in there to do the uh, the Little Mermaid magic on it. And Howard and Alan were on it for just a little while. And Dick Purdom said, "This is not what I want to do." Yeah, he he was very. Uh, uh, I've, I'm told he was very gracious about it, and 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 you know stepped away from it just because he his vision didn't you know kind of kind of line up with with uh, you know what he knew was going to be a fairly radical. Uh, uh, retooling, imagining, yeah, yeah. So, so he walked away apparently amicably from from uh, from everything that I'm told. And uh, Gary and I were given license to pretty much, you know, uh, basically all we had was the title. I yeah, mean, we, we, we had the title, and we, and we knew we had Bell and the Beast. Right, and that was it. You know, and then yeah. I think in Dick's version, they had like. The like Bell had sisters and they all had suitors and it was like oh, yeah no there was, was a like, you know, family of, Bell had a little sister there was some you know Ponzi guy in a big wig who was, who was pattern after the uh, the Jean Cocteau version where there was a you know a lot more characters and I think it was Howard that said we don't need all these guys we can just like smash all these you know all these other kind of assholes yep. down into into one asshole yep. supreme and <laughs> and that became Gaston. You used to be able to get that at Jack of the Box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they swapped him out for snouts though. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> we can edit that out, I'm sure. Um, you know, I, 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 I might put a disclaimer and leave him in this time because that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and it was Howard uh, when he, in, in, in the Purdom version, um, the, the treatment of the enchanted objects was very much kind of like the, the very famous John Cocteau version where they didn't have personalities per se. They were, they were, they were mute and they kind of floated around and did things and they were all Everything kind of was just vaguely magical. Yeah. And, and Howard hit upon the, you know, looking at it in retrospect, fairly obvious idea of, of uh, giving the objects um, individual personalities and really bringing them to the forefront and giving them a stake in what was happening with Beauty and the Beast. It was, I believe it was Howard's idea that the enchantment that the beast was under was the same enchantment that the objects were under. Yeah. And if the beast wins, they would win. It's like if the beast, if the beast fell in love and turned human, they would turn human. So they had a stake in it. It gave you a rooting interest um, in all those characters. And that's what Howard really brought to the table. And that idea was in place when Gary and I came on board. The specifics, who were these characters? We, what were the we personalities? Were the ones who came up with the, with the characters. And, you know, in one sense, they were like the most obvious on the nose characters you can possibly imagine. You know, the, the, um, the, the major domo is tightly wound and, and uptight, so he's a clock. And the, the major d is, is a flame with passion, so he's candles. And, and, uh, and the head cook is warm and, and bubbly. It's a teapot, you know. And it, right. so in retrospect, it's like kind of embarrassing to put it in those terms. But it also it worked like a million bucks. You know, it was yeah, a it really simple read that everybody, you know, like five-year-olds and movie executives could get. So it, it, it really worked well. Drawing the very important. Oh, uh, there's a lot in between. In between yeah, yeah, yeah. There five-year-olds were. and movie executives. <laughs> <laughs> One of the Short funny things about them, them, too, was exactly. we had had a, um, we'd had a test screening, you know, later, later in the process. And um, we had thought all along that, you know, there's this kind of like for Disney, a, a little bit of a grown-up romance between Belle and the Beast. You know, that's, that's for the moms and dads. That's for the date crowd. And the little, the little talking objects, that's for the kids. And when we had this test audience and we asked, you know, people what they thought, almost universally, we got it backwards. Right. Because, <laughs> because the, the, the parents loved the little, you know, the, the little frustrated objects and the kids loved Belle and the Beast. I mean, we still got something for everybody. We just had it backwards. <laughs> we just, yeah, we, <laughs> we're 180 degrees in the other direction. All's well that ends well. Yeah. So one thing that was unique about this production for Disney is it was the first time like a, a scriptwriter was brought in. That was Linda Wolverton. Um, that's, that's not entirely accurate. I okay. Mean, yeah. So let's let's talk about that then. That, uh, uh, Jeffrey and Michael, when they came to the studio, um, and this was back uh, when we were before Oliver and Company. Yeah, this is like production. They yeah. they were the ones who insisted on a full script, and so that started. I mean, in the modern age, I should say, in, in, in what would become what is popularly known as the Disney Renaissance, Oliver and Company was the first modern Disney movie to have a full script and, you know, live action writers and, and, and the whole the whole thing. Not that, not that we adjusted, 
you know, very well right away because a lot of people at Disney were very, you know, the story crews and, and the directors and were very used to just working off of a, of like an outline, right. you know? Okay. So this, a, a big chase happens and, and it ends up with, you know, character X with, you know, his pants down and he's got polka dot underwear. It's like, okay, that's, that's where we're going. A, B, C. And then you give it to the storyboard guys and they flesh it out. Right. They, they, they provide create, a lot of the dialogue. Yeah. And then you have the story meetings with everybody sitting in there looking at the storyboard and they pitch it. And, what if he said this, you know, and it's, it's very community based. And to suddenly bring in this, you know, this ivory tower writer, which is, you know, what we thought um, to tell us what to do. Um, we, we, we didn't we didn't go with that you know definitely definitely uh early on i think there was definitely definite friction between there was friction between gary myself the story crew and and linda and um i think it i it was it was a difficult adjustment kind of for both sides we were used to creating stories uh uh visually it's an organic process that grows out of uh, the visual visual development and storyboards and um, Linda and most writers are used to to you know creating turning in pages the, the entire scenario you yeah. know everything on the page go, make it so right and and you know we don't play that way it's like if if if, if we're handed a pile of script pages we're going to interpret them and we're going to adapt them and we're going to try try things that might not necessarily be in the pages or you know get inspired by something that's on the page and then you know kind of kind Take of it further right see if we can push it further see if we can spin it into 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 a whole new direction you know well, it's something we always tell the storyboard artists yeah. if you can plus this if you can make it better do it by all means yeah. i mean every step that one of the coolest things about animation is every step it gets better right linda yeah, wasn't yeah, used to that yeah, you have an opportunity at, at every at every phase of the production, um, from from you know from storyboard into layout into rough animation into editorial into voice recording to constantly plus and constantly uh, revise you know in pursuit of what is going to be the most interesting and entertaining way you can put something on the screen, and so it's a really iterative process. We do stuff over and over lot you know sometimes we go down blind alleys and, and bump into walls but but i think it's a really terrific process and i think you get it's a collaborative process and and yeah. you know you get a lot this hive mind that that puts this thing together you get stuff you never would have thought of yourself exactly and and it usually makes it better i mean some of the best line one of the best line for sure in in beauty and the beast was written by the actor on the stage yeah, you know, we, on the day we recorded him. What's that? Yeah, on the on the day we recorded him. On the yeah. day we recorded him. Yeah. David Styers was really funny. And we would tell him all the time. It was like if you have a if you have another idea for this, you know, just, just let us know. And he'd say, All right, give me a minute. And like, you know, two, three minutes and we'd see him, he'd just be like writing out on the stand, and then um he'd go, Okay, I'm ready. And he'd record like six different versions. And usually they were all way funnier than what we had. Right. And, and the, you know, it's like, we would always make sure that we covered, uh, when we were recording, we would cover, cover right. the dialogue as written, just, yeah. just so that we, we had it in the bank, but, but you get a much richer and more interesting and more individualized character. If you really let the actor inhabit it and, and bring something to it and bring something of themselves to it. Amazing. Okay, good. So 
we, we touched on kind of working with the actors a little bit, but you know, there's that kind of cliche of animation that the animators are, are actors in their own way. And so you, in this film, you had, you know, kind of paragons of the industry. Now, Glenn Keane on The Beast, James Baxter and Bell, Andreas Deja doing Gaston. I was curious, from the perspective of directors, how is an animator paired with their character as, as a supervising animator? Is there like an audition process for that? Or do you just kind of know their work and say like, you know, Andreas, I think you'd be great for this character or... How do, you, how do you come to that conclusion? That's kind of how you do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, if you have a live actor for, for a part, you know what they're capable of. You know what their strengths and their weaknesses are. It's like, she's really good at comedy and, and like, you know, quick patter dialogue. Um, this guy's really good at physical action stuff. You know, th- you know, for actors, you, you cast, you cast what they're good at and animators, you can see some of them are good at everything. There you have Glenn and James and Andreas and, but, but then you just go like, okay, so, you know, what, what, um, <laughs> what do you think they'd be best at? Well, it, it, a, a good example is, is, uh, uh, you know, just as Gary was pointing out uh, that, that actors tend to tend to have specialties, um, animators do as well. And, and we had been working together as a, you know, studio full of artists for a number of years before before uh, uh beauty and the beast you know even even uh uh hit the drawing board um so we had a pretty and, and gary and i had also just come off of the short film that we did cranium command so we had a, a a fairly decent you know just from being around the studio kind of working knowledge of who did what scene who was kind of good at what 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 animator was tended to be a cast on particular types of, of, of action or acting so so uh uh you know for instance dave Pruxma had a, had a real feel for for uh cute characters he was able to do charm yeah that had a great deal of charm without ever being saccharine or child or childish he could do things that had a, that just had a really sincere sweetness to them which is why he ended up uh, being cast on Mrs. Potts and Ship. Um, uh, Andrea, Andreas is a, an amazing draftsman and has like like a you know an absolutely sort of peerless uh, uh, understanding of the human figure. So he he it was kind of a natural for a character who's going to have a lot of musculature. And he's and he's a little bit you know he likes the kind of larger than life. Yes. Yeah. No, he, he, he tend, uh, and Andreas on the other pictures tended to gravitate towards the bigger, as Gary said, larger than life, you know, kind of, kind of big personality characters. So, so he seemed like a natural choice for Gaston. Actually, Andreas was really lobbying to do bell at, at the start. He really wanted to do, he wanted to do bell and we kind of, I don't know if we talked him into it, but we said, we think, we think that Gaston would be a better fit for you. You know, we, we need somebody who can really do this character justice. And, you know, he said, yeah, I think you're right. And so he, he took Gaston. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, just did an absolute amazing job with it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, so yeah, that, I think, I think that sort of, sort of answers the question that, yeah, you do sort of cast the animators like actors based on um, uh, kind of your familiarity. On, on what they do, what, what you know they can do, right. what they can deliver. James, for instance, we, 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 we wanted James because we knew from his reel of work that he had done on Roger Rabbit that he had this incredible ability to uh, turn characters in three-dimensional space. 
And since we knew we were going to be incorporating some CG in this movie, we wanted an animator, uh, particularly on Bell, who was going to be uh, very strong, you know, with, with, with that particular skill. But even the scenes that weren't CG, you know, the opening number of, of Bell, when she's, when she's just walking by the camera, you know, walking towards us, past and away, that's not easy to do. Oh, and, 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 he, and he just nails it. He's got that little chip in his head that's like, all right, you just do, okay, here's the camera speed, and boom, he did it. You know, and you get, you get her walk, her, her, you know, the bounce that she has. So you can tell, even though it's just like, you know, from the chest up, you can tell what every single step she's taking and you can practically feel the swish of the hem of her dress. So, I mean, he's, he's that good. Yeah. So we, we, we mentioned before, and it's hard to talk about this movie without bringing him up. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Howard Ashman and, and his work on the film with you guys. Um, there's the story that, that I've came across a couple of times during my research before our chat tonight, where he wanted to do the prologue for the movie as kind of this fully animated thing that showed the prince as a kid, uh, you know, having this curse put on him and everything. And you guys uh, kind of shut that down. Uh, I believe the word you, you said you used what was a, a cheap trick, which he took some umbrage with. So I want to get a little bit more from you about kind of, cause apparently he, he, he responded in kind to you on that one. So talk a little bit about, about kind of how the rest of that meeting went. How did you guys kind of, yeah, we heard the story about Henry shouting at you, but obviously I don't think it oh, ended yeah. there. Um, how did you guys resolve that? How did you end up with the the introduction you have with the, the kind of stained glass panels and everything? Well, we, we uh, Gary and I pitched the notion of, of doing it, uh, of telling the story in a series of stained, stained glass panels. And I believe Vance Gary did the initial storyboards um, that, 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 uh, that kind, of, kind of helped bring that idea to life. And then it was uh, Mac George, a really talented layout artist, who did the actual design uh, of the glass. Yeah. And I think it was literally, you know, because of the, 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 I think Howard on seeing the artwork and, and being able to see kind of, kind of how we would realize it, I think he jumped on board. He, he, he. That was the easy part. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of a two part thing. The, the, the going from a fully animated prologue to a, originally like first first idea was oh well a storybook you open it up and there's the illustrations we said yeah it's been done let's do stained glass so that was that was really the easy part you know like kirk said max designs and and you know the way it all came together and the way it was was read by david styers you know that 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 warms you know storyteller voice it's like oh this is this is a natural that trick came with with depicting the prince you know, right. and, and how, how are we going to do that? And so when he's, when he's depicted in the stained glass, he's kind of an indeterminate age. He's more than 11, but he's probably less than 25. Yeah. But he's in there probably. somewhere. Yeah. We, 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 we squabbled a lot early on with Howard about what the age of the print should be. There were early outlines of the story specific about the beast age. And, and he was very determined that, that, that the beast should have been enchanted when he was just a little boy. And, and because of that, he never learned to read. And it's so tragic, he never learned to read. Um, um, but but no problems with that. Yeah, me and Gary and our story team, particularly Brenda, um, had some real issues with that. We, we just did not feel that that was a romantic idea 
that 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 Bell, you know, we were like, is Bell his his surrogate mommy? That's kind of creepy. We, we didn't, <laughs> it, it it just did not fire off for us. Uh, in in addition to the fact that both Gary and I, you know, it, it anytime you know we thought of 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 putting you know a, a hairy little beast boy up on screen in, in his little Lord Fauntleroy pants, it's laughable. Yeah, it just seemed comical to it us. It was laughable. I mean, there was there was nothing emotional or tragic or or sorry about it. It was just like this is stupid. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh, there I said it. But I mean, <laughs> it was. That's what it was. It was like, come yeah. on, really? Also, also, I mean, okay, let's get past the 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 little Lord Fauntleroy Eddie Munster running around. What a you know what an <laughs> yep. of an enchantress to put this this horrible curse. On a little kid. I mean, a little yeah. kid's just being a jerk. He's being a little kid. Yeah. No, you must be a beast until you learn to love, and then, then you'll be yeah. a beast forever. Also, your entire staff. Yeah, we, what a we, jerk. we couldn't get on board with with. We did not feel that there was a a you know even in in a fairy tale universe, it, it there did not seem to be a justification for. Uh, uh, you know, destroying the life of of, of a character who wasn't old. a little ten year old. Yeah, for, for for characters who wasn't old enough to know better, we kept insisting. It's like for this to be a just and fitting punishment, he has to be at least old enough to know better. <laughs> so that that was kind of the crux of our argument, and that's something we never we never did agree on that. No. I mean, we kind of snuck the visuals in, yeah. and then in the song "Be Our Guest." Howard had kept the lyric ten years we've been rusting. He wasn't a little boy. So yeah, the, you, you can if you look at the movie through that uh, you know, kind of that set of glasses, you can kind of see those two ideas, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny because I was gonna bring it up later, but I'll bring it up now because like it's one of those constant things of internet debate like uh, was he 11 was he something else what what yeah. you know we're doing the math with the 10 years so yeah and it's funny well, so the because because it's always credit the filmmakers it's, it's like that's like that. a that's lot of people jelly beans you know it's like guess guess how many mistakes are in are in the jar it's like, <laughs> that's okay. one of them that's a big one that's um, awesome that's awesome so in addition to, to kind of that interaction with howard obviously you know he 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 wrote these songs and worked on thinking on them and, and again when you watch the behind the scenes footage you, you see a lot of great uh, stuff of him working with uh with the performers during during the song recording and everything like that um when he's recording the songs because i honestly i looked in the background like are you were you guys present for the we're song there. recording sessions yeah. Yeah. The, the cameras just weren't pointed at us That's of course cool. of course yeah <laughs> i mean how howard and alan knew this knew this business so well mm -hmm. and Kirk is Kirk is more musical than I am. That's setting the bar pretty low because I'm not musical at all. But but so we just kind of like stayed in the background and they would do something and at the end of a take they go, guys, we go, it sounds great. You know, and that was <laughs> that was kind of our input on that. During the song recording sessions, you know, my job, I remember in the in the song recording sessions was to uh, sit with the actors before the session began and walk them through the storyboards and try to get them try to get them in the mindset of the of the character where they were what the context was what happened before what's going to happen next so that they could so that they could you know, really you know kind of kind of inhabit this moment 
in their mind and, and bring that to their performance. So, so, but, but the, the nuts and bolts, the fine tuned direction, you know, no pun intended fine tuned, um, uh, on, on the musical performance, that's all Howard. We learned so much from Howard. Oh, we sure did. And, and Alan both. I mean, the, yeah. the, the two of them, we came into this, I mean, we, we've joked about it over the years that, you know, both with Howard and Alan and then later with Stephen Schwartz and Alan is that we came from different worlds, you know, yeah. and, and our context was always different. And they talk about things in terms of Oklahoma or Gigi or, you know, Song of the South, you know, just, yeah. all, all these musicals. And we'd talk in terms of Star Wars and Terminator and Indiana <laughs> Jones. And it was like two <laughs> worlds, you know, that were apart. We, we literally had meetings where we'd be talking about the wolf chase and we'd, and we'd be like, we'd be like, oh, like yeah. a car chase, like <laughs> the seven ups, like, you know. Like in the seven ups, or or you know, you know, like when the when the when the <laughs> and you could just you could just see the you know the blank you know yeah. and then they would say, oh, it's like that moment in the student prince, and we'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean the way the way that um the the way that Howard and Alan would would talk to to their actors and the and the kinds of you know, performances that they would get out of them. We, we want more of a legitimate sound. We want it more from your head. We want, we want to hear the joke in, in, in the music, yeah. you know, things like that, that we would never have thought of. Yeah, we and it's like, I, so I think I, I learned, I, I literally like learned how to communicate with actors, you know, but through, by through Howard, Howard and Alan, by, by watching and listening to Howard. Yeah. So do you guys, um, were you guys there with him in the hospital room, the last time a lot of the other uh, crew saw him, or what? When was the last time you guys uh, spoke with Howard before he passed? Well, I never. Gary and I saw saw Howard uh, when he became very ill. In fact, we were kept out of the loop in, in terms of uh, what his what his condition was, or even if he was ill for for a very for long, a long time. They didn't tell us. But when he but when he deteriorated, when he really deteriorated physically. There was a very small circle of people who, 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 who uh, you know, were invited into that, you know, situation. And Gary and I were not part of that. I mean, I, I remember um, a recording session, and this was for the song "Something There." And mm-hmm. Howard was Howard was in the hospital at that time, and he could barely speak. Um, and by that being, time. And obviously, we'd been informed, and we, we knew we knew at that right. time. But but he he was he was too sick to you know basically even to walk. So he was in a hospital bed, and they the studio had rigged up you know speakers in his room, and we would go through a take. You know, we would have the orchestra, and we'd have Paige singing, and we'd have Robbie singing, and we'd stop, and then Alan would get on the phone and talk to him, and say, "Okay, what do you think?" And Alan would get Howard's notes, which I guess were not much above a whisper at that point. But he still gave notes, and he still gave good notes. Yeah, yeah. Literally up, up, up until the to, to the very end, he was he had to create and put out the project. Right. So, as you guys are kind of moving along in production, was there like a pivotal moment or a milestone when it started to maybe click your head? Like, hey, this is this is coming together. This is starting to work. I think we have something here. Boy, uh, uh, I, I've used this answer before, but I'll say it again. Um, during, during the course of production on an animated movie, and this is true of, of everything I've worked on, but it was particularly true on Beauty and the Beast, um, you fall in and out of love with it while you're working on it, you know, Absolutely. like 10 times a week. 
It's like yeah. there were moments when we were, when I was sitting in editorial going, hey, this is coming together. This is pretty good. And this is going to be really good. 24 hours, I could come in and look at the same sequence and, and feel like this is absolute, you know, dog crap. Who the hell are we kidding? Yeah. You know, this is this is going to be an embarrassment for all of us. What in God's name did I sign up for? <laughs> I, and it was it was that quick, you know, like yeah. twenty four hour turnaround. And then the next day you go, oh, this is going to be so cool. So yeah, the, the cool thing about the animation process is, you know, because it's the nature of the process. <laughs> very very rough version that's composed of, of roughly drawn storyboards to slowly get swapped out for, you know, rough animation, cleanup animation, and then color. Um, particularly at the speed that we were working, there was always something new that would get cut into the reel that would kind of, that would kind of you know, buoy our spirits and, and make us feel a little bit better. Yeah. I know? mean, when, when, when you do the story reel and you got the whole story reel together, when you first have it, it's really great, you know, and you're putting voices to it and temporary music and, and all this. And it's like this... It's a, a, a long, elaborate slideshow, basically. But, but um, you know, here's this thing. Up, and then you're working with it and you're editing and getting the timing and all that until you just can't stand looking at it anymore. Then the animation starts coming in. And, and just, you know, it's, it's only like like 30 or 40 seconds of it. But, oh, it's so good. You know, and it's like you can see where it's going to go. And then you get sick of seeing the, the, the rough animation. And, wait, cleanup and effects. And, yeah, it just... Every every step is, is more and more exciting. I think, I mean, there are a couple moments for me where I thought, wow, maybe we do have something. Like, one was when Brian, Brian McEntee, our art director, came in, like, out of the blue. I don't I don't remember what, you know, motivated him to say this, but he came in and goes, you guys, you're going to make $100 million on this. And we practically laughed at him because that had never been done before. No, no animated film. 30, 35 was considered really good for, for an animated feature. Um, Oliver and company did 50 some and little mermaid was like in the eighties. And that was like, Oh my God. I mean, it was like a national holiday for that. And, and for Brian to come in and say, you're going to, you're going to make a hundred million dollars on this. We thought you're just being, you're just being ridiculous. Yeah. You'd be lucky to get anywhere near mermaids. Little mermaid. Yeah. And, and, but I mean, it was, it it wasn't that much longer, you know, like in the, in the following days, we were like, huh, man, what is, huh, maybe, you know, and there was also fairly late in the process. I think we were doing, uh, we, we were working on, God, it might've even been uh, with our, with our sound effects editors, like our, like our Foley guys. I remember being on a stage with Mark Mangini and his team and uh, one of his, one of his team, uh, 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 Gal named uh, I think her name was Julia Evershade. Hmm. I remember at one one point between you know when we had a little bit of a break, she said, "This is going to do really well." And I, and I was like, "You think so?" And she was no, like, "Yeah." She said, "She said, trust me, I have a really good track record of, of predicting these things." <laughs> and Julia was right. God yeah. Bless her. <laughs> yeah. The other the other moment was, and there had been. There had been some buzz and there had been some push by the studio, Jeffrey and, you know, the, the upper echelons to like, let's see if we could get an Academy Award, you know. And so there was a lot of push, a lot of, um, you know, on, on that on that upper level to um, get it out there, you know, get get the uh, get the word out that this was that this was like something, something different and something big. Right. Um, and so they put it out. 
we, we did the uh, the Radio City uh, work in progress screening. Right. And the, the New York the New York Film Festival. New York Film Festival. Yeah. And I mean the the full disclosure, we had to kind of back it off a little bit because the film was actually a little bit more done than that version. When because I mean we it was getting pretty close. Yeah. And we could have put it in and there was still, you know, a substantial amount that that wasn't done, but I don't think there was any storyboard left. I mean, I think it was all no, we actually had to kind of devolve the movie a little bit for that screening. Just to make it, just to you wow. know, get the point across, this is how storyboard looks. And right. we had to like take out a, probably not finished, but certainly an animated scene and put in a storyboard scene. Right. Because it was meant, you know, the, the, the purpose of that screening was to give, to give people kind of a look, a look into the process. And, and Gary and I were actually really nervous about doing we, that. We didn't care for that idea. <laughs> oh, we felt like magicians giving the whole trick away. It's like, it's like, and we weren't even sure, you know, average Joe and Jane off the street were even going to be able to follow it, you know, popping between still sketches and black and white, rough sketches and finished sketches and English animation and rough animation. You know, it's just going to be this, 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 you know, crazy quote. We had, we had actually had some experience on the test screenings where, there were adults, you know, that, that went into it and they were like, so this is all going to be animated, right? I mean, it's not going to look like this. It's going to be in color, isn't it? Is the whole movie going to look oh, like it's all, it's, Yeah. And we would just Apparently, it was the little kids that were like totally with it. You know, you, you get like a bunch of, you know, five to eight year olds and they're, you know, they're just like, they're sold. They're with it. They're, but they're, but they're, their parents are like, this doesn't look like a Disney. Because kids, kids are naturally visually literate. And I think, I think, Adults kind of lose that visual literacy <laughs> kind of along the way. So, so kids are very comfortable looking at a variety of styles of, of, of art and being, and, and being able to follow it. It's kind of it's also why little kids can see ghosts and, and adults can't. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we should have showed it to cats. I, mean, we, <laughs> <laughs> I heard our numbers with cats were, were actually very good. <laughs> <laughs> they dangled some string in front of yeah. them. <laughs> That's great. The funny thing is that that, that was that was my next question. The whole the whole film festival, yeah. But that was but that that, that uh, the New York Film Festival. That was you know when it well shoot the the um, the end of the first song. You know the opening bell's opening number. People were standing and applauding. It was getting applause in a theater. You know, for for a cartoon song, and we we're like full of grownups, in, in a theater in New York, full of jaded New Yorkers, um, adults. We we were getting yeah, it was all adults. We were getting applause like they were at a live show on Broadway, and I I had you know Gary and I just looked at each other, slack jawed. What the hell? Yeah. What have we got here? And at the end of it, you know, when it was done, we were like in an opera box. In, in that in that theater and at the end they hit us with a spotlight you know and people would stand up stand up wave you know i felt like mussolini you know it's like, <laughs> this is weird <laughs> i mean I was, I was gonna say I, I remember i mean i was seven years old at the time and i even i was aware that this like unfinished version of the film was being shown in new york so like it was a really you know to think back on it like like what a weird marketing tactic i guess but it, it's it's cool to hear that that, that yeah. first of all it's it's amazing here you guys say you had to like bring it back a little bit because i don't think i've ever heard that before that you yeah. 
It wasn't literally like, okay, we fi- this is what we finished last night. Here you go. Enjoy. Well, yeah. He was kind of the brainchild of a guy in, mar- in, in marketing, I think, was, was the one who came up with the notion of, of, of screening it in that form. And, and we were encouraged to devolve it a bit because, because they just felt it would be a more, a, a more interesting and kind of buzzworthy experience. Yeah. There, there probably were scenes that we finished the night before, but then there were other ones that we had, you know, we had to, it was a mix. Yeah. Nice. So the movie came out about two months after that, November 22nd. Can you guys talk a little bit about what it was like on the last day of actual production on the film? Gosh. You know, these, these... was that when Peter came in and, and, you know, cause we, we had these meetings with, with, uh, um, he was the president of animation, Peter Snyder and these weekly meetings, which we called weekly beatings. <laughs> because you would just like basically oh, yell at us, you know, about, oh, about what screw ups we were. And there was no pleasing the guy. And I think it was like the last, the last meeting he came in and it's like, all right, guys, well done. And he was like calm. And <laughs> it was like, we, we were expecting like one last, you know, punch in the head. And <laughs> I know. He was, I know. He was very, he was very gracious. One, I think the nicest meeting we had with Peter and Beauty and the Beast was that last one. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. These things, these things just kind of, you know, they, they sort of coast along to a stop. They, they don't quite kind of stop all at once because they're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're kind of fine tuning it up to the very, very end. You know, you've done your sound mixing and then you, you, you go into to color balancing with the art director and literally fine tuning things like, oh, Gaston's vest looks too maroon. Can we make it feel more scarlet? You know, and this is pre-digital. So, so, so literally color balancing over a Technicolor is a chemical process. You know, where they, oh, they, God, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so trying to get the color true to vision. Whew, that was hard. That was hours of work, mostly for Brian. I mean, we would and come, Lisa. Yeah, and Lisa Keene, yeah. our background supervisor. We we would we would uh, we would come in and get and you know kind of wave our arms around and go eh, maybe a little more this, a little more that. But but the you know the the ones who were in the trenches trying to get the color to 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 look right were Brian and Lisa. So that was one of the I remember one of the last things that we did on it was what's right. called a Technicolor. But we yeah. were, I mean, we were screaming up to the finish line on this one too. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a short, uh, a short schedule to begin with. And we were coming right up to the end. One of the weirder things about that was we went kind of chronologically towards the end. And it's like the very last scenes that were animated and produced were the very last scenes that we got to, you know, the, right. the, the, in time, the film. By that time, we had literally run out of time and money. Yeah. So the 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 this has been documented elsewhere, but I'll, I'll say it again here. Um, we 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 did not have either the budget or the time to animate the final shot of the movie. So um, in the grand tradition of animation directors who came years before us, we reused a shot from from Sleeping Beauty and had Vera Lanfer clean up Aurora and Prince Philip to look like Belle and the Prince, our Prince, our Prince. Yeah. That's another funny thing. And this, this is, this comes up online a lot. It's like, is the beast's name Adam? Well, yeah. What the and hell? Say, yeah. The first time I heard that, I, I emailed Don and said, who the hell is Adam? And he's, well, I think that that's the Prince's name. It's like, we never named him. I'm saying it right here. 
Yeah. All listeners, we never named him Adam. Yeah. All we never gave him any on. name because yeah. <laughs> we didn't even think of it. It, yeah. it was like the very last week of production. We had already done all the all the dialogue recording, but like the you know the last week of production, and we're doing the the prince, the beast transforming into the prince, and somebody said, "Is Bell just going to still call him Beast?" And we went, "Oh shit, yep. you never named him, did you?" <laughs> <laughs> and we thought, okay, what what are we going to name him? And you know, we didn't have the time, you know, to to like have a series of meetings and hash it out and talk it out and decide and agree and disagree and all that. The best, the best that we could do was put up a you know like a like a list by the coffee machine of name the beast and win fabulous prizes and and all <laughs> you know all the animators and assistants and everything they put like ninety eight percent joke names and the, the few serious ones were like. Eh. So we just said we'll just write our way around it. Huh. Yeah, we, we 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 never had to be specific about what his name was. Right. So, so uh, objects called him Master. Bell yeah. called him Beast. And then after the end, the objects still called him Master, and she called him Hey You, or you know whatever she called him. But big hairy lug. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my my other uh, questions because because. Adam's one always comes up. I think it was like it was on. Some, it got put on some toys in like a CD-ROM game or something in the nineties, and yeah. it just kind of became. I, I'm. This is pure conjecture from me, from Kurt. Pure mm-hmm. conjecture that the 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 Prince Adam thing could have come up on the uh, uh, from the consumer products side because they needed to create consumer products and they probably had to call them something. So, so if it came from somewhere, that would be my theory. But I have absolutely no. Yeah, that makes it. sense. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, I there's a couple of like direct video sequels, right? There's right. the Christmas one, and then there's another one which I act full admission have never seen. But I, they, yeah, yeah, me I mean, they don't call him Adam. <laughs> <those. I'm> done. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Good. See, we're we're solving things. I'm very I'm very yes. glad about this. <laughs> We're going to put those rumors to rest. <laughs> At last. He not now, nor has he ever been named Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the, the films come out. It's, it's critical hit. It's a box office hit. You guys win the Golden Globe. That's great. And then you get the Oscar nomination. Something that's never been done. I want to know a little bit about how you guys personally reacted to hearing that news. And then how the studio reacted. We went in and saw everybody to the things that you were nominated for the Academy Award. It, it was a it was a crazy day. I mean, you know, both Gary and I uh, uh, got up super early, like everybody else did, to watch them announce the the, the nominees. It's like five thirty a.m. California time. I mean, I was jumping down, jumping up and down on my couch, you know, like Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I had um, my my older son. I think he was only two or three at the time, and I so I couldn't be like really loud and wake him up. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was sitting in, you know, sitting in front of the TV with the volume on low in my pajamas. And, and, uh, I mean, it, it was, it was enough of a possibility. Like I said, there, there had been some buzz and there had been a push and the closer we got, the more buzz there was. And we were like, this is nuts. You know, people are really talking, they're talking about it on the radio. You know, they're, they're talking, okay. it's in the trades that it, it that could a cartoon win, but you know, and we were like, Okay, you know they're they're going to announce it, 
And when they announced it, I mean, there was no sleeping after that. It's like, I can sleep for <laughs> three hours. It's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> went to the store, bought like three bottles of champagne and a gallon of orange juice, got to work, and everybody else had the same idea. We were all like in the bag by 10 a.m. <laughs> it's so true. Um, um, uh, oh, it's funny. Now, I should, I'll tell that. Was it when the movie, Gary, when, was it when the movie hit a hundred million that we crashed Frank Wells' office? Yes. Yes. Yeah. When, I hit, when I hit a hundred million, again, champagne and <laughs> Kirk and Don and I like ran across the street to, to the main office and we're going to, we're going to go into Michael Eisner's office and, and like, yeah, yeah, look what we did. And we were not invited. We were just going to crash it. <laughs> we were just going to crash it. And so we got up to the, you know, out of the elevator and his, his, um, secretary is sitting there in, at her desk and puts out her you know her traffic cop hand and says no you can't go in and we're like what come on don't you know who we are we just broke 100 million dollars you know we were just like we were outraged that, that this was this, this injustice had, had been upon us and so we had to cool our jets for a little while you know like 15 minutes or so and then the door to eisner's office opens up and these like three giant guys like like linebackers in super expensive suits come out and and i was just like okay thank you very much it was great talking to you and you know and they leave turns out they were envoys from the vatican and we're like <laughs> oh okay we'll just kind of shrink back down to our, to our little cartoon size again and, and shut the hell up <laughs> But you know, after after Michael met with you know apparently the 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 uh, muscle side of, of Vatican, <laughs> um, he met with us. And, and Holy Father wants to thank you for your work here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so we we hung out. We 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 had a glass of champagne with Michael. I think I think we we he didn't we, drink. I mean, he had a yeah. glass and walked around with it. Right. And then, and then um, Jeffrey came in and he didn't drink. Yeah. And then Frank Wells came in and said, give me a glass of that stuff. These guys don't drink. <laughs> and he was celebrating because he had, he had like kind of sponsored a bill, like an environmental bill through Congress that had just passed that day. So he was like, yeah, he was ready to, he was ready to have some. Yeah, he was ready to celebrate. Yeah. Nice. It's hilarious. It's like, it's like. But I mean, we walked out of there going. Yep. This, is, this is where the grown-ups work. We'll go back to the we'll go back to the kids' table across the street. Yeah, we'll go back and work on our cartoons while they you know, sponsor bills in the Senate and, and meet with, with, with world powers. <laughs> Humbling is the word. Oh man! So to kind of start winding things down in the conversation. Is there? a moment on the production that stands out as like your favorite day. It, it could have been something funny that happened working with the, the team or, or just like a milestone in the film. Or is there any, any day that stands out as a, a memorable moment? I have one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, 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 uh, it was, it was on a, I believe it was on a weekend because when we were in, in crunch mode, which started fairly early in production, we were working weekends. We, we, it was literally a seven day yeah, a week. Very early production. <laughs> yeah, it was a seven day a week operation. And, and Gary and I, you know, so, so that we wouldn't completely burn out. I remember I took I, either I took Saturdays and you took Sundays or vice versa. I can't I remember. But, but, but we, we basically divided the weekend. And one weekend I remember coming in. And you can correct me, Gary, if, the, if this wasn't on a weekend. In my memory, it was. But, um, uh, Glenn Keane and his uh, unit of artists 
had gotten a hold of one of those like really sort of high end slingshots made out of like, you know, surgical tubing. tubing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they, they had created giant slingshot and, and, and like stretched it between a couple of cubicles and they were firing chocolate donuts <laughs> out of a slingshot across the entire length of this football field sized warehouse that we made Beauty and the Beast in. They had a super high ceiling. So they were, yeah. they were aiming high and sometimes hitting, you know, the, the air conditioning ducts and sometimes hitting the wall like 20 feet above the floor. <laughs> so, yes, firing chocolate donuts and cheering when they, when they would uh, make impact. <laughs> that stands out as a, as a good day. One of the things, the, the, the memory for me that, that persists is... Um, we had we had had a um, um, a test screening in Pasadena, was, you know, where we did them at, uh, on the at the day. It was a recruited audience and everything. And um, Kirk and I were not known. Fa- it's not it's not like you know actors who can't go into a theater because everybody will, will know them. Kirk and I were just like, oh, it's two more guys, you know. And we had we, yeah. had we were seated like kind of in the middle of the audience, so we could hear all around us what the uh, what the reaction was. And the scene, and it was like fairly far along at this point. And the scene when, um, um, right before the, the ballroom dance of Beauty and the Beast, when Belle comes out of her quarters at the top of the stairway and you see her for the first time in her, in her gold gown. And there were like whistles and guys going, whoa, you know, just like guys being guys, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a hot girl on, on the screen. And there was this girl behind like sit directly behind Kirk and I, who was like maybe like 19 or so just by the sound. And she was like, we could hear her saying kind of under her breath. It was like, it's just a cartoon. <laughs> and Kirk and I were like, who I tell you, it's a tough crowd. And, <laughs> and, get no respect. and then, so we go through, you know, the, the opening, you know, the, the dinner and, and the opening of the song and bell and the beast, they, you know, they're arm in arm and they walk through the doors and we go into the digital ballroom, you know, in all its color and everything. <laughs> and we heard her go, oh, shit. <laughs> and Kirk and I were like fist pumping. like, yeah, we got her. <laughs> that's awesome. That that scene. So, like, we, I always heard about the, um, the, the the fallback plan. If it didn't work, the, 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 the ice capades version was just going to be like a black background the spotlight. <laughs> What was it like when that when you realized it was going to work? Was there like a moment where it was like the tech guys like, guys, we got it. Look at it. It's it's working. Check it out. The tech guys never, never lost faith. I mean, they always, they were always, I had faith that they could do it. We were less certain right. because they, they had faith that they could build the entire forest, you know, in a, in, in a 3D environment because we were going to do the whole wolf chase in 3D. And when that flopped, you know, we, and they tried to reassure us. It's like, no, guys, that, that's all like organic shapes, and and the ballroom's just like basically big box, you know, with with um, geometric shapes, and it. it'll be a lot easier. And it's like, okay, but oh, Gary, you know, we, I mean, we were getting a little bit of like advance, like heads up that it was looking good from Brian because he was working with them and like you know doing the paintings that would be mapped onto the walls, and, and he come in and goes. It's looking pretty good. So we, you know, there there was some optimism when we went into it. And I, I was, I remember all of us were really encouraged when when James uh, footage 
started to get uh, cut in. Oh, because God, yeah. we planned the sequence with these basically digital stand-ins for, for, for Bell and the Beast, which were basically, you know, they looked like two a couple of you know differently sized egg crates with there was there was like a, a, a rectangular like box and then an yeah. inverted cone exactly and, and those were just their digital stand-ins that that we could use to sort of track the changing perspective and, and they were just on a grid exactly like, like, like yeah. locked onto a grid that you know the grid would move around and they would move around on the grid and that was I don't know if James even used those things, you know. I think I think all James used. I don't think that James had any use for the for the cone and the rectangle. Right, grid he did. Yeah, yeah, uh, he had to the plant the feet uh, on the shifting grid. But yeah, when when James's rough footage first started to come in, you know, combined with the with the with the kind of kind of low res version of the of the uh, ballroom, uh, we we knew that okay, this is this is going to work. Even, even if work. this doesn't work 100%, it's, it's going to work. And it yeah. worked, you know, 110%. Right. So as you guys look back at this movie, 30 years now, you know, it's spawned off a Broadway musical, live action remake, theme park attractions, restaurants. What does this film's legacy mean to you personally? Wow. Um, I, it's... I, I, I sometimes can't believe that that I was I was so intimately involved in something that that has uh, stood the test of time and and become so completely ingrained in, in, in popular culture. I'm like it, it, it's it's a weird feeling because because I can still remember you know those moments in those meetings were very specific because you know all these movies are made by. Specific people, our friends and colleagues, sitting in a room and making suggestions, and and uh, I can still remember, you know, those very specific moments when certain ideas were introduced into the mix and how they became part of the fabric of the movie. And it, it, it's just magic to me how all those millions of little decisions can can result in something, you know, that 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 has that has become a classic. And and it kind of exists outside of me now. It's you know, it's like it's, it's like having a kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had that feeling that it's 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 you know, it's 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 on its own. It's got a life of its own. Back when they were doing the the first uh, direct-to-video sequel, because um, Michael Eisner sent the script to us and said, "You guys take a look at it and you know, give give us your notes." And I think we both said. Um, you don't want our notes because <laughs> we'll, we'll give you notes and we'll want to do it. You know, we'll, we'll, we're, we're not going to be happy with, you know, with, with some, with, with, you know, some guy that you picked out of the TV ranks to, uh, to, to throw this together. We're going to want it to be good. So you don't want our notes. And, and he took us at our word, you know, we never heard from him again, <laughs> but, but it was at that point that it was like, you know, it's, we made something but it belongs to Disney, you know, and it belongs to everybody now. And, you know, our, our part in this is basically done. You know, we could, we can stand on the shore and wave as, as the ship goes away, but, you know, and, and know that it's a really good seaworthy ship, but you know, we're not, we're not on it anymore. Yeah. It's just, it, it's now just, just part of, part of the culture. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it was, it was such a thrilling and fun and crazy and sometimes frustrating roller coaster to, to, to be on. 
but you know, I will be grateful uh, for the rest of my life that, that I got to be a part of it. From from the start, um, we had said, you know, because people say, well, "What are you What are you trying to accomplish with this?" And aside from the 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 only halfway joking, we're just trying to get it done by the deadline. We wanted to get we wanted to make something that was going to stand up with the classics. You know, these things that that we had known and loved and revered. You know, since since Snow White, you know, all, all these, all these things, these, these masters that we had, had studied under and studied about. And, you know, for us to put up something that wasn't worthy of that would have been, would have been awful, you know? So that was, that was something we really wanted to, you know, to yeah. be able to stand, to stand up with them. Yeah, exactly. We wanted something that, that, that could comfortably fit along, alongside on the same shelf as, as, uh, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty. Pinocchio and Dumbo and Alice yeah. and you know all the others. It's like and, yeah, yeah, we're, we're part also, of yeah, also speak to a to a contemporary audience. Yeah, we're part of that family. Yeah. Amazing. Guys, thank you so much for joining me tonight. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um I hope you guys uh had some fun as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that was fun. Thanks so, for having us. Of course. So to so just kind of say thanks for being had. <laughs> <laughs> you fell for it. Yeah. So if there's anything you guys want uh, the listeners to know that you're working on, if there's anything you got coming up, uh, you know, feel free to, to plug away. As I say, anything you guys got cooking or you guys just kind of nothing, nothing, nothing I can talk about. Yeah. yeah. I'm on the, I'm on the, the, uh, 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 development merry-go-round. I've got a bunch of different irons in the fire and, and, you know, a, a, a kind of very short list of projects all, all of which are in various stages that I can't talk about, but hopefully one of them will will turn into something. And you know, same. Yeah. Keep me off the street. <laughs> in that case, yeah. we will keep refreshing your IMDb pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon someday. Hopefully, all when right. uh, when this movie's forty years old, we'll find more stories. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk in thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. Got a great so job, AJ. Thank you. I mean, yeah. special thanks to them. Absolutely. I mean, they could not have been more gracious in doing this with me. Like I said, I, I talked to Kirk, you know, b- before on the show, and I, I told him as we were kind of wrapping up a conversation, I said, you know what? One day here in the future, I'm going to want to do a Beat and the Beast episode, and I'd love to get you and, and Gary on. And he said, yeah, just let me know. And I reached out to them at the end of August, and I just I emailed Kirk, and I said, hey, remember me? Like, uh, you know, if you're still game, I'd love to get you back on the show. And if, if you think Gary would, within 10 minutes, he emailed me back. Like, yeah, what's good for you? I was like, okay. You're just <laughs> that swell of a guy. I guess so. Now that we have to report them to Disney for the three swears that they said. Four if we count uh, the H word, which I don't think anybody does anymore. I forget. If no, I think we're over that one. All right. I think, yeah, we're good. We're good. But yeah, that was, I, I'll tell you what. We all love Howard Howard Ashman, but I, I'm totally side with them over the whole age of the prince thing. Yes. It's weird that if he was 11 and he's well, like, you're a jerk, you're getting cursed. I was right a ever. jerk when I was 11. <laughs> you're absolutely right. You would not have that emotional connection because he doesn't know any better. Yeah. Right. For having a six and a four year old right now, they don't know, you know, fully what. You know, yeah. what it's, it's also tough to be like, hey, you eleven year old, until you learn how to love a woman, this person <laughs> yeah. is be like, so and, and 16, 18 at and least. It, it's interesting because it's unresolved. You can still see that conflict in the movie because it's mm-hmm. like again, the art 
which they were in charge of. It does like, yeah, he's he's an adult, but then like the lyrics. Yeah, ten that, years yeah. we've been rusting. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, my head canon is he was an adult and he was a jerk. Mm-hmm. It, it also makes sense. I mean. If we're going to get all scientific about it, like, where did Chip come from? Obviously, he was a kid when this curse was created. Right. He didn't age. Well, and, that, and that's what they said. There's the, the conflicts that you'll figure out, like, throughout the movie that, you know, they were clearly going back and forth with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's never fully resolved. I, I love that story thing. about them trying to go to Iser's office. Like, know, How, most of them I don't know. even drink. And the the like, Vatican muscle. This is where the adults work as well. They put it That was so good. It's so weird to think because how much money, not even just the opening like box office just of in, the film itself. Oh, for, still in today. general, the characters that the, that they produce right. you know, for this. Is they should be worshiping insane. their feet, right? Right. But still, but even still, even after all that, they're still like, you know, going back to their little animation studio. And here's here's a quick question for you two. What do you guys think about Bell's Enchanted Christmas or whatever it's called? I thought the CG animation for the bad guy played by Tim Curry was cool. And that's about where there was like it stops a and starts with me. It was okay. I never saw the other one. Like, <laughs> I barely um, remember it. So <laughs> it was a big deal when they were making it. I, mean, I like Christmas then. stuff. So I enjoyed the Christmas scenes of everything. It's, it's the rare in between coal, right? Is that a word? Uh, yeah, kind of like what Lion King one and a half would would. Well, Lion King one and a half. Oh, that's a fantastic. Yeah. That's a great movie. <laughs> so I, yeah, dig a ton, dig a dig a ton. Uh. <laughs> Didn't you say too that um in the other direct video sequel that they did make the beast like six? Yeah, years at old? some point they did show the the day of enchantment, and it is a little kid, and kind of like they said, it has this like yeah. little Lord so, Fauntleroy running around. <laughs> some validation there, being a little jerk, and yeah, it's it, it's some Eddie Munster. Do you guys yeah. remember the live action? It wasn't. I don't think it was a PBS show, but it had that flair to it, where like Bell was just like reading storybooks to people, and there's puppets. Bo- no, you guys look at me vaguely. It was a thing. It was a thing. It's not like that Little Mermaid show that Jim Henson did. They only shot the pilot. This was a real show that happened. I don't remember that. There was all sorts of weird spinoffs and and whatnot. It was a big. Deal. It wasn't like Aladdin where it got a glorious animated show that was awesome. Yeah, that expanded the lore and everything. Right. Right. So. Yeah. It was good stuff. And in a way, it's kind of sad how they, they closed out that interview. Like, you know, we created this stuff or had a you know big involvement with it. But then they just kind of like let it go. And I mean, all yeah. these other people are like in charge of those characters. And well, that's, I mean, what that's they the do thing. Like, now like you know, when you create a movie for a big studio I like know, this, just, like that's kind of It's weird to think because you think like, okay, I'll be involved with this forever. But, but it but, does like, you know, go away. But they said their goal was to make something that would stand up with like those big classics like, you know, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Pinocchio. And they absolutely did. It's in that category. For us, it's almost weird because... I feel like we almost think it's contemporary, but it's 30 years old now. Yeah. What was 30 years old when that came out? In, in 1961. The like, so. Jungle Book was 30 years old around that time. Walt Disney was still alive. Right? So it's crazy. So it absolutely, uh, like, uh, you know, if you don't think that Being the Beast is in your top five for Disney animated films, I'm almost a little suspect of you. Yeah. I'll be honest. It's, it's, it, it, that was my favorite princess. Well, that's mine too. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably, it's definitely in my top five. I think it's my favorite of the big four, like those, like, the uh, Little Mermaid, Being the Beast, Aladdin, Lion, Lion King, King the, like those ones. I think this is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yep. agree. It's yeah. such a complete picture. It's super fun. Yep. And the last uh, film that Howard Ashman worked on. So yep. Well, no, no. I mean, Aladdin's the last he one he did, worked yeah, on. Sure, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, th- th- to talk a little bit about just, just my enjoyment of the film. The opening of this movie is like one of my favorite things. Oh, it's in so animation. great! The music, the orchestral music. I mean, obviously the the songs are great, but the orchestral mm-hmm. music stuff here is great. But just like the way it's like they're the, for the first time using a computer to to replicate the uh, multiplane camera. 
where it moves through all those background layers mm-hmm. and goes to the castle and that narration's so good and oh, I love the beginning yeah. of this movie. So also, you know, and and they brought this little mermaid, but I love uh, Howard Ashman and Alan Macon. They, they really do bring that Broadway style mm-hmm. to this. Exactly. And, and Belle is the biggest example of that, that opening number. It feels straight up yeah. like a Broadway song. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And you know, then you kind of have that big uh, or the reprise of it, which is like the big I want moment. I want yeah. adventure. It's really good stuff. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah, fantastic. I can watch it uh, a million times and probably never get bored. And Gaston is such a good villain. Yeah. He's so... Because a lot of the villains are are so evil that it does work. Like, Jafar and Maleficent come to mind where they're so evil, or Corotaville, that you like it and it's fun. But Gaston's a bit of a goof. But, but, he, but what's great is he's still evil and, like, you he's know, wants jerk. to kill the beast. Yeah. But his character is so endearing that they find ways to still, like, oh, yeah, let's have him in the parks. You know, people love yes. him. He's right, yeah, we all, love the, we all love him. We're glad he died. <laughs> yeah, we, we still love him. We wouldn't want to, like, have to be friends with him. <laughs> but he's fantastic. Oh, man. Fantastic stuff. Adds so guy. speaking of in the parks, yes, let's go on a quick little tour of some of the places this this uh, attraction or this movie has shown up in attractions of the park. So on the same day as the film opened on November twenty second, nineteen ninety one, Beauty and the Beast live on stage opened at Disney MGM Studios. Right, this was at the old theater in the Stars uh-huh. theater. Then, then when they were building Sunset Boulevard during the transition period, it went to the same theater where Hunchback was. Yes, for a bit then there. Now it's been the same spot ever since since nineteen ninety four. They built the theater for because it was so successful. Yeah. yeah, and in the old theater, if you looked at old aerial maps, this this would have made up the the uh, if you're looking at Mickey his left ear. Yeah, back and in we've the day. talked about this before. It's part of like the Sunset Boulevard expansion pre-expansion right where it was right so but yeah this thing's still going strong i never actually had saw in the parks we just watched a video but it. it's fun yeah we had well, I mean, very condensed the problem is yeah it's 24 minutes well how how, so. much, how long do you want to sit there and watch a show you got you know to get on tower of terror right not me personally yeah. but <laughs> you guys but, do. but they do good things like bringing in gaston songs still you know yeah as all, part of like all the, the songs the are still there yeah, they're still mm-hmm. there they bring them in so yeah that's, that's what you're there for you're it, there to hear the song it's fun and it's you know uh, it's it's clearly endeared a long time are actually we our friend who grew up here is like a stage manager for that show yeah. or maybe the stage manager mm-hmm. i don't know the exact details she's also worked on phantasmic in the past so that's really cool yeah but yeah what to interview her sometime maybe we can but i don't know if we can while she's an active employee yeah, yeah, she's, she's talking a little bit about like um she's told me things i don't know yeah, if you so, here. just some of the little stage tricks like like the way they hold for cues and things like that like the music has like vamps built in i may have heard about one time where bell came in and had a rough night i'm just saying so <laughs> she had to perk her up a little bit but hey <laughs> you know these things happen. We can't all have perfect days like you. No, we can't. You can't just wake up looking like this. <laughs> <laughs> now, I forgot to write down the year. I meant to go back five. When, when did the new Fantasyland open? Is that 2012? 2012, I think. Okay. 2011 issue. It, it was kind of in stages. Right. So that's when you got um, the Be Our Guest restaurant and the Enchanted Tales with Belle in Fantasyland at Disney World. Be Our Guest is pretty much the standard now for themed restaurants mm-hmm. in, in Disney. Space 220 is almost kind of in that mode of, in terms well, of being in, like super themed inside of a right. theme park. I mean, shortly after Be Our Guest was the Skipper Canteen, right? Mm-hmm. Not uh, too not, far. I mean, there's a bit a of a gap there. I would than you say think. almost seven or eight years, actually. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. You'd be surprised, but I would think so. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, love I, Be Our I Guest, like though. Oh, together, Be Our Guest is so good. It's where people seem to go back and forth on it, but right now it's at like a yes, this place is It was great. yes, and <laughs> the last time we went there this year, me and Chris, we had a fantastic meal, actually. Yeah, I was even talking. just for lunch, it's yeah. like... Well, now lunch is like on par with dinner. It used to be lunch was more like sandwiches, quick, quick service, but jazzed up a bit. Yeah, they changed, which was still COVID, really good. And it's kind of a glow up. I kind of want them to keep it that way. Yeah, I think they will. But it's 
making more money for sure. Yeah, but the ballroom is beautiful. I love how they have like the snow falling and they use the actual original animation cell set. Mm-hmm. The West Wing, which is forbidden, is really cool. I love it in there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, but the um, what's the other room? The called? other the, the room with like the oversized the, like cl- I don't know spinning. the music box room or something. I don't want to be this, if, if they try to sit me in that room and be like, no thanks. I'll oh, wait. I'll wait. <laughs> it was cool when Jessica and I were there in a honeymoon. We had um like like lunch reservations for like when it opened. So that you're kind of like lined up out front to open it, and then all the cast members who are like on the the wait staff like come outside. Yeah, they do. And, the and uh, they do. Ladies and gentlemen, we invite you to be our guests. And then, like the head chef like threw up when the doors like came out. It was like this is cool. And they're cool. like applauding us as we yeah, go. Yeah, little it's open. Nice. So, obviously, they're like, "Hey, ladies and gentlemen, your host, the Beast." He comes in. He like bows. It's and I'm great. like, "Yeah, that's all the character interaction. I don't need him to come like." Yeah, emotion to me, me personally, but I like seeing him. Well, he goes <laughs> over and does. They, 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 you could line up and get a photo. Well, yeah, but he doesn't go over the table. Now, yeah, guys, I have to ask the gray stuff. Is it delicious? It's all right. It's pretty good. <laughs> I like it. But it's just like you know, a it's type a moose. Of icing. It's a I, moose. I mean, they're not. They're not putting any. Uh, they're not going to try anything crazy with the flavors there. I, I think in our thirty, you know, some year old uh, palates that we have, eating just like a chunk of moose or icing is a little rough. Well, look, I'm not. I, I'm not a big dessert fan anyway, so I didn't even say anything. Chris, I mean, I remember the last time we were at uh, 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 Diagon Alley, you got their no-melt ice cream. Oh my gosh, it was just, terrible. You hated it. it was just I was icing. so excited. Like, clearly this won't be just icing, right? <laughs> was, and I eat it. It was, it was just I guess that's a way you can make ice cream, quote-unquote, not melt. Uh, that was hard. But that I whole area they that. built around there is mm-hmm. really cool. Um, Gaston's Tavern is great. Best cinnamon rolls in Magic Kingdom now? food brews for days. Yeah, two apple well, And they got, they got rid of the braised pork shank. That was really? good. Oh, that was too good. bad. Probably one of the best character interactions, too, is just Gaston. He's super fun. Because well, he's, he's a fun most, character. He can lean into yeah. things. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, when things kind of go, like, viral as far as characters go, he's probably the one that's up there the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We even like that gift shop there is really nice. That fountain is super fun. And I like Enchanted Tales with Belle. Yeah, the first time we did it, Chris I mean, yeah, and I were, uh, we we were, were, the we were the guards. We were the armor. Yeah, I was a little jealous. But, <laughs> I, you know, there's that fun moment when you walk through the mirror. I like kind of... I, not middling, but mere tier like entertainment offerings like this that are a little different. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you guys remember the thing this. at Williamsburg. Wow, AJ <laughs> was way ahead of me. Oh my! I was because I was in that show. Remember? So it was the oh my the Williamsburg. Uh, uh, gosh, at, at Bush Gardens. Bush Gardens. Yeah, they did a very similar thing. It was like a medieval story, and they like had all the kids in there, and they had some of the kids be part of it. It's, like, it's <laughs> man, AJ. Just blew my mind. I'm having very minor flashbacks about this. No, game. I'll tell you all about it because because yeah, I, I you was were his, you were I was it. his first horse, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Come, young squire, what is your name?" And I said, "My name's AJ." <laughs> oh, that's not a real name for a horse. What's your real name? Armand. <laughs> so AJ and I rode across the countryside. I remember this vividly. Pretty then, good. I remember then, this Then, like, too. as part of the story, he got, like, a magic horse, which was another kid. So he said, goodbye, AJ. I'm getting a horse with a real name. I was like, geez, guy. Come wow. at me. Then this, the show kept getting, like, intentional interruptions, and Mike saw his chance for improvis- imp- improvised what comedy. What did I say? I don't remember this. Is this a pause game? And a he was pause? just like... I'm sorry, oh what? And you're like, a pause game. Like, you were like being so clever. And he just, you know, 
whether you Whatever, pretend to not to know or actually know what you were talking about. I don't know what, I I don't know what you're about. talking about. Like a, pa- like a video game, you pause Yeah, but oh! what kind of context is that? I don't know. Because the show yeah. kept stopping. In yeah. my little world, that's the only context I had was video games. Yeah, look at you. <laughs> so yes, that was. The, I had no memory of that That part. was the story time <laughs> show at Bush Gardens. It was fantastic. I'll tell you what, I hope, I wish that, that if like I had the magic powers like of Tammy Tucky to like track down people, <laughs> it would be the track of that guy yeah, down. Because right. he did a great job. I, oh, it clearly, was just him in a room with clearly kids. Clearly, we remember it to this day. Yeah. But I think people have that, like some kids today have that memory of Enchanted Tale, uh, Tales of Bell. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. And it has the cool Lumiere animatronic Yes, too. yes. So it's good stuff. So, like, it's lacking the big ride, but I do like that little Beauty and the Beast section we had there. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they going to do? Build a giant, uh, it's like, e-ticket Beauty and the Beast ride? <laughs> what are they going to do? Build a second castle? Speaking of. <laughs> Who's got the money for that? Oh, yeah, the Tokyo Land Company. <laughs> Oriental Land Company. Excuse, me, excuse, excuse me, you. Yes. Excuse you. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen this, so wow. The attraction dude. is called Enchanted, Tales, uh, T- Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast, which opened in Tokyo Disneyland on September 28th of 2020, along with an entire mini land of the town and everything. And again, they built Beast's Castle yeah, like, like full scale. Like it's like almost as big as Cinderella like, You know castle? that sad dinky thing we have on top of that hill there with the, 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 perspective with the, thing. the bad yeah. force perspective? Like usually usually I kill kind of easy on things. It, it looks uh, rough. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. This is <laughs> this is the show building for a ride. It is majestic. I mean, it could be a castle for a whole Disneyland. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's that big. It's insane. And then the ride proper is using the same trackless technology as the as the, as the Tokyo Winnie the Pooh ride we talked about. And really the whole ride is like the Hufflumps and uh, Woozles section of that ride where yeah, you're just, just like kind a of in a room, room and you're all kind of dancing around each other. It's, it's basically four different sections of that. And you go through it. You start with um, Be Our Guest and you end with um, Dancing in the Ballroom. It's really neat. It's and it has this really great pre-show. The line's very intricate. I mean, the animatronics they made well, for it are amazing. Yeah, the pre-show has those animatronics in it. And mm-hmm. you just want to sit there and stare at them all day. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's it's really cool. It just makes me upset when I watch that stuff. Someday right? Come on. I can see. Well, bring it. I was asking. I had AJ like looking on the aerial maps. Like, can they fit this into New Fantasyland? Kind of, maybe. They'd have to knock down some trees. Do it. Uh, trees. Do it. <laughs> Sorry, nature. I need to be entertained by robots. <laughs> Rip them down. <laughs> Rip them all down. <laughs> Any? Uh, there's anything in Paris? Is there? I forgot to look. I've been there. I you would think, right? Because yeah, yeah uh, I don't really think so. Not that I, not that I can recall. I remember almost being surprised that it's not just like the Beauty and Beast castle there, but it was built before that. So yeah, really planned during that. It was built around that time, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So of course it's not. The one other thing I really remember so like vividly to me at least is like a mid '90s uh, vacation guide video. Yes, and Lumiere was. Prominently featured. I think it's the 92 or 93. 93. 93. Because the 94 one was when it was the Aladdin guy. And I remember he was talking about Tower of Terror extensively. Because our, our my one friend had it. And we watched that one a lot. But yes, I remember Lumiere on the phone with the Disney Vacation Club people. Yes. being like, yeah, yes. Talking to them about yeah. like all the other places he could go. Chris, man, we need to find man. that video. Yeah, that'd be fun it's, to watch. I, I've seen it on the internet. We could, let's Good. watch nice. this. Uh-oh. Him just roaming the yes. parks. And it's great. He says like, Disney 93. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why I know it's 1993. Yes, I think we yeah we watched that thing because we time. it was it was the club card they had at the time now I can't remember the name of the card but we had it that's why we got yeah. this video I don't even remember that card got you 
Because if that got you stuff and dad had a, like like a legit American Express. Well, I remember, I remember the American yeah. Express would get me a fanny pack. Yeah, you got a fanny wear. pack and we got like some breakfasts <laughs> Oh, and man, stuff. can we please find that picture? Oh, there's a rough <laughs> picture of me in the fanny pack. It's holding, not rough at all. It's hold, amazing. Holding one of the mist sprayers in one hand. Something else I wanted. My guts, my 12-year-old guts sticking out. I'm as... I am unbelievably pale. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I clearly do not go outside at all. That was peak Mike Minotti. It was. I think I, I reached my final form then. <laughs> I want to ask you guys a question because I don't re- I don't really remember seeing this movie in the theaters, which is weird. I know I saw it and I, I saw it a lot when it came to video. I mean, you I, was re- four. I, I remember seeing Aladdin in the theaters pretty specifically. Mm-hmm. AJ, do you remember seeing being in, in the theater? I don't have the specific memory, but I'm pretty sure I did. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Because I, I, Aladdin, I remember was the first movie where i think i was like we need to go see that again and i saw it in the theaters like a second time well like at this point how long would it have been for a movie to come to vhs it's a relatively longish wait still back then yeah probably nine months like yeah at least yeah it's not like today where it's like it's on disney plus in three yeah three three months months, yeah Yeah. but so let's talk to you a little bit we've been here for a while so let's let's wrap it up we haven't but the people listening yeah yeah uh let's talk about the broadway show just a touch it's Um, fantastic i've seen where did we see it first was it was it uh, Toronto? Toronto, Toronto yeah. yeah, and it goes on tour all the time. We've seen, I've seen it. In We've Young seen it in Pittsburgh. Even. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's fantastic. It's super fun. It's um, better than the one in Hollywood Studio. Well, it's a bit more elaborate. <laughs> it, the uh, the song that they give for the Beast here at the end of Act One, if, she, if I can't love her, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, because he sings to the like the that main music melody, from right? the opening, right? Yeah. yeah, all this time I should have seen. It's a very good. I love that song. Well, that was your biggest beef with the live action one, right? right. So the live action movie it was fine to watch once, like a lot of them are, but. Uh, like they, 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 of course, they had to write a new new song for the Beast here. Which it's is not, not it's bad. It's not bad. It's and, good. Yeah, I actually like but, the song. But they, they, they always do that because you, that's the only way you can become qualified for, for the Academy Oscar, Award for, for Best Original, original yeah. Song. It's like, so when they made the new Phantom of the Opera for the movies, they had to insert a new song because then you can get nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. So, but I was bummed because I, like, you know, I don't know, give LeFou a song. <laughs> like that, that, that Beast song should have just been that because it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Otherwise, that live action version, again, fine to watch once. Mm-hmm. Emma Watson is okay as Belle for the singing. It's a little rough. Luke Evans has a good song. Yeah, Luke Evans fantastic. is a very good guest on. He did a very good job there. I liked Josh Gad as LeFou. Mm-hmm. There, there was plenty of good performances and there. And all the inanimate objects, they were all good. Fine. Again, it was fine to watch. Well, I'm not going to act like I'm furious about it, but I don't think it's it just has... that's, that song is what makes you upset. Nothing right. else. It doesn't, I mean, you know, I'll get over it. But there's no staying power. It, it's like with a lot of these things. There's no staying power there. Like, you know, even a Wonder One Dalmatians, when they did that live action version in the 90s, it was a big hit at the time. But eventually everyone defaults back to the original anime yeah. version. Yeah, well, let, let, let's look at it this way. 30 years later, we're still talking about the animated film and how incredible it is. Thirty years from now, when you look back at the live action, it's you're a like, hey, it'll be a well, little it's gonna, anecdote, it's, and it's going to look old. Yeah, it's, yeah, the effects won't hold up anymore. I mean, that's right. just the way. It I mean, how many been, people today do you think watch the original Wonder One Dimensions, and how many people watch the, the live, live action, action with Glenn right. Close? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like curious, that's probably that's why I was almost surprised it. to see, um, like the uh, the Alice in Wonderland maze in Shanghai is based off the live action one. I understand that it was a hit there, but still, right? Weird. Like, who's like, I've still never seen that movie. Or the sequel. Well, the never sequel. Never saw the original. It was I've okay. never seen it. I never. Fine. I don't think anyone saw the sequel. I, saw, <laughs> I did see it. Yeah. How was that? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up, guys. Thank you cool. for listening to. What Wait, I want to talk about the Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh, talk about the Kingdom Hearts. It's thing. very good. Well, first off, in the first Kingdom Hearts game, half. Beast. <laughs> 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 oh, okay, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> B shows up as like the surprise final guest character towards the end of Kingdom Hearts, and it's awesome. Then Kingdom Hearts 2, you go to his castle, you have the team up attack with Beast where he like puts his hand on swords, mm-hmm. like we yep. got this, and it's just it gives me chills. You have that amazing boss fight in the ballroom and you swing off the chandelier to fight the boss. It is all very good. It is they very good. Somehow brought back Everybody in the original cast who was still alive, they brought back a La- Angela Lansbury yeah, to be like four lines. too. <laughs> that that floored me. When you told me. I, I was so happy. That's great stuff. Okay, I said my piece. Okay, now this is definitely the longest episode of '90s Disney uh, that we have. Nothing but wrong with that. I think I think this was a special occasion to merit the runtime. If you're still listening to this. Kudos to do, you. Do you want me to talk about next uh, the the 0.5 episode I have planned? Okay, here. what's your you, you've been very excited. About I'm very excited about this. We are so it's tangentially related because Grand Floridian has a Beauty and the Beast themed yes. bar now. now. Does. Yep. Yes. So <laughs> I thought it, you know it's a big debate. Which of those three monorail resorts are the best one? You know what else? There are also three of. Minotti's. <laughs> There's what? three of us. <laughs> look at, look so at that. We are going to do a debate, okay. and we are each going to advocate for one of, of the resorts, and we are going to figure out which resorts we're getting right now. Chris, I want you to you get first pick here. Which one oh. are you going to advocate for? Probably Grand Floridian. It is my DVC resort. So. It, he's advocating for Grand Floridian. AJ, I mean, I don't know if you're kidding. This I would like to have the Polynesian. But you're you were the contemporary kid. I told you. I, we yeah. already talked about this. Not so much. Well, do you do you really want the? Po- you're the guy who did the episode about the uh, California grid. I know. Look, I can do it. Oh, right, and I will win. No, you know what? No, <laughs> I want the contemporary. <laughs> His reverse psychology worked on me. Did you see what he did I there? Did you see what he did? And that's why you will lose next couple weeks oh, when we no. do this. We'll have a big poll. We'll even we'll even at the end of it ask amongst ourselves to, you know, take off your glasses of what you're defending and <laughs> say which one is your favorite. <laughs> but we will put forth our arguments and we'll figure out the best of the monorail resorts. It's going to be fun. Okay. Chris is Grand Floridian. Yes. Mike is the Polynesian and H is your contemporary. You're right. That is a that is a, a flip. I used to be Mr. Yes. Contemporary. Mike, you need to make like some kind of like looks like a poster for a boxing match. Oh, it's, it's gonna us. be good. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Get, get I'm changing mine shot. to the Persian. Screw you guys. Wow. Well, point one against it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> but it would have been great. It would have been. It would have been great. Well, thank you for sticking with us this long, everybody. Uh, you can find more shows like this one at 90sDisney.com. Maybe not com. quite like this one, but like similar. Yes. <laughs> we could download and subscribe to the show, and it'll be great. Um, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we had a great poll uh, talking about different roller coasters. And all you left parts. out Hagrid. You left out Hagrid. I was I, so mad. What was I supposed to leave out instead? Uh, <laughs> Rip Ride Rocket? <laughs> what the heck? I mean... No one likes Trip Ride Rocket. No one likes Bill I can't believe it when I saw it. <laughs> and other people said things to you, and I agreed with them. <laughs> I don't know. It's Look, he hasn't done it. He doesn't know. He doesn't yeah, I don't know. know. Yeah. This is more of an enhanced dark ride than a roller coaster. Oh, oh boy. Here oh, we no. go. Oh, man. And, uh, uh, yeah, hey, if you worked on a Disney movie... <laughs> You know we're gonna find you and get you on yeah, the show. Look, we're, I'm gonna get you on the show. At this point, have. we've gotten everyone we wanted on the movie side. We haven't even gone that like too hard on the uh, imaginary side. We got the the, the Marshall Monroe, yeah, yeah. very very generous. But yes, the reviews have been coming in. They've been good. But we're coming for you if you work at Disney. Look out! <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> good night. Good night. Good morning. Whatever I'm going to bed. Is.